Hi, everyone. We have Martin Stewart with us today from the London Bunny Group. Hi, Martin. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Today, we're going to be talking about what's going on in the mortgage world, why protection insurance is more important than ever, and of course, the FCA consumer duty. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So I think it's quite interesting today, Martin, because this is the first time that we're actually, in a sense, properly meeting. It is over Zoom, but this is our proper first meet. I think most people know us from our Twitter spats, isn't it? Pleasant, uh, pleasant Twitter spats. Absolutely. Our, our first meeting and probably our last as well, Catherine. So I think we should, probably <laughs> make, we should make the most of it. But we have to keep it to no more than an hour, ideally. So we just can't keep going forever. Yeah. So. <laughs> and lovely to have you with us, Roy. Hi there. How are we? All good, thank you. And well done on your um, win at Health and Protection. It's the first time I've had a proper chance to speak to you since you got your your award there. Snap to you, likewise. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But focusing straight on to mortgages and what's going on. So, Martin, you are obviously very much in the mortgage space and me and Roy are not particularly sat there at all. Um, So, what is happening, in a sense, in the mortgage world? But I think, to start off with, What'd be really nice is to know more about you and just get a bit of background mm. on yourself, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've been in the industry probably about 30 years. Um, I would say it probably took me about 15 years to work out what I was actually doing. Um, and at that point, I kind of pivoted. I, mean, I used to be an IFA uh, many years ago, um, and then the standards uh, were increased significantly with RDR. And um, I could have plodded along doing that, but I needed to sort of stick to the knitting. And to me, that was always going to be mortgage work. That's something that I've done religiously from about the year 1998 onwards. So I've seen the whole journey of intermediation in the mortgage world. Um, uh, and um, from the back of that, I kind of the recession came along, the, you know, the credit crunch came along in 2008. That wasn't a great time to be a mortgage broker. Um, and at that point, I was pretty, pretty disillusioned with the industry, I think, as a lot of people were. Um, and I probably had a, a career choice to make as to whether I kind of stick with that or or maybe I'd pivot and do something completely different, but within the industry. So at that point, I kind of broke away from the, the national advice network um, that I was operating under and then set up London Money um, just to basically run my own brokerage and make maybe kind of replicate what I thought was the right way to approach clients and the consumer and how to give advice. And um, something you'll always struggle to do if you're part of a network or a national where you're told how to uh, run um, an advice process. So um, in 2009 or 10, I set up uh, London Money um, uh, and we've been going strong now for about 10 or 12 years, um, uh, 12 advisors, um, just purely in the mortgage and protection space. That's all we do. We're also part of the wider money group, um, which is a, a nationwide um, sort of collection of brands. It includes a network as well. Um, but, 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 but directly authorised firms within that. Um, there's probably about 150 headcount there. So we're quite well positioned in terms of brand brand recognition, uh, nationwide exposure. Uh, but we also operate um, autonomously and we can do what we want at London Money. Um, but um, yeah, so it's an interesting market right now, which was your point at the very start. What What, what is the mortgage market doing? Um, and the answer to that question is, how long have you got? Now, I know you've set aside an hour for the, this podcast, but, you know, that would probably just cover the first week in October because um, it's been a very, very fragmented market now for, for about two or three months. 
Um, uh, and in reality, it's probably been a bit of a fragmented market for, for two or three years post-COVID. Um, I do feel like the industry's been kind of going around in circles a little bit, darting off in different directions. We've had lots of government interference in the housing market, um, some positive, some negative. We didn't need a stamp duty holiday, um, which came out of um, the pandemic in 2020. That's just poured a load of petrol on the fire, uh, the repercussions of which we're probably seeing even today. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, very interesting market. What it does do is highlights the importance of advice. And I don't say that in terms of trying to talk my book, but some of the rubbish that we see coming across our desk is unbelievable. Um, uh, and this is from very educated consumers and the naivety within the consumer. And you probably see this as well, maybe in, in, in your side, um, Catherine, um, uh, a lack of education, the stuff that we take as you know, pretty basic and we assume that everyone should know that. Uh, some of the questions that we get from the consumer, and this isn't, detrimental to the consumer it's our fault for not educating properly in the first place it's quite worrying i would suggest martin let's just go back to 2008 that you you mentioned yeah. i mean a lot of the mortgage brokers that, that i know said that one of the most important lessons that they learned from then is that sometimes diversifying your business model is a good idea in terms of uh, you know the pressure was heaped on on your industry then do, do you think people have, have taken that on board in terms of trying to widen their models since since then uh, no, um, and, and you're absolutely right. It should have been totally diversified and have banged the, the, the diversification drum quite hard over the years. Part of the reason we set up the money group was to, to encourage that diversification because um, the reason why the industry or the mortgage um, broken industry suffered in, in 2008 was because everybody um, just did mortgages. That was it. The assumption was that was a never-ending um, uh pot of gold that we could always dip into as and when we wanted uh, and there was a naivety around the brokering uh, community that that was always going to be the case um, didn't realize that housing is just uh, a small cog within an economic wheel um, so when that wheel then um, locks up as it did in 2008 and 2009 um, you know the landscape changes and if all you've got is, is mortgages then you know, there's a significant drop in income for, for every brokerage across the UK. My personal income dropped by 50%, I think, over, over a two to three year period. Um, did we learn lessons from that? No, because the same thing happened as we entered the lockdowns in 2020. No one diversified. The mortgage market was, was effectively shut overnight. Uh, I had a number of brokers in tears on the phone to me asking if that's the end of their career. And at the time, it certainly did feel like that. Um, and did we learn from the pandemic? No, because here we are now in um, Q4 of 2022 and the mortgage market is locking up yet again. So, you know, I don't know how many more warnings we need as an industry that it's very, very important to address this as, as a business, not just by process mortgages for a living. Yeah, uh, I guess I guess the other one I've heard on, on several occasions is MMR came along, uh, which you might want to just briefly uh, describe to our listeners, uh, and that created um, extra work. And I, and I guess people hid behind me, well, I'm now filling out 57-page fines and forms, and therefore there isn't time to talk about things like protection. Is that is that a fair uh, uh, challenge? I think there's always going to be challenges, Roy. I mean, regulation is is the price we pay to trade. So I don't really, you know, I don't beat the regulator up um, because without without standards, we end up where we were when I joined the industry in in 1991, and that was just 
you know, a load of rogue 21-year-olds roaming the country with a, a briefcase trying to find someone to sell an endowment to. So, you know, it, education is good and regulation is good. Um, as long as we don't overkill it and have it for regulation's sake. So mortgage market review, I think, was maybe 2014, looking back now. Um, um, and again, it was all it was all about, it, it came out of the credit crunch. Most regulation always comes out of a disaster somewhere. How can we improve things by tweaking some of the areas that we didn't address previously? And the idea was to, you know, in, uh, improve the fact-finding process, not just from a, a broker point of view, but from a lender point of view, and focus much more on affordability so that, you know, we can stress test the consumer today and at some point in the future, which also brings in the consumer duty that's coming in um, soon. Um, so uh, mortgage market review was was useful. Do, do we use it as an industry to hide behind? Sometimes we do. Um, uh, but again, I, I think sometimes we also overthink it. I mean, you know, if you do the job right from day one uh, and your moral compass is set through, you don't actually need an awful lot of regulation. But as we, Catherine and I uh, have previously discussed, sometimes it's only the 1% that cause the agony for the 99%. And um, so maybe our standards need to uh, address the 1% a bit more and find a way that actually can we eradicate some of these people from the industry that are causing more problems um, for the rest of us. So, th I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, that's another 10 hour podcast we can talk about, but I think, th I think sometimes the problem with mortgage broking, and th this is, this is at a granular level with the broker direct with the consumer and at a much bigger level with the, with the lenders. It's a very, very inefficient process. Okay. And it doesn't need to be. It can actually be a very smooth and easy process. Bizarrely, more mortgages were, were written prior to intermediation than since intermediation, which kind of, and also before regulation. So, you know, if we, if we were busier before intermediation and regulation came along, it tells me that we're probably breaking something in that process. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, I think there are huge inefficiencies in, 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 in uh, mortgage advice, um, huge. What is the percentage of the uh, intermediated mortgages, roughly? Now, now um, well, it depends who you speak to um, and, and what vested interest you want to listen to. It does vary greatly. I mean, the general standard used to be around about sort of post sort of 2001, maybe 65 to 70% was intermediation. Um, when the credit crunch came along, that probably dropped that down maybe to 55 to 60 We've kind of clawed our way back as the lenders kind of have changed the way that they have a branch network now in so much as they don't really run a branch network. Um, their ability to leave, they've lost contact with the consumer. That's the problem the banks have got. They've moved themselves too far away from the consumer, which left a massive gap, which the brokers filled uh, very quickly to the point whereby I think around about 2020, during the, the lockdown and the pandemic, it was reported that 90% of mortgages were intermediated. Wow. It's a very, very dominant position um, from our point of view. Imagine to think that you've got a £300 billion um, uh, industry with, with probably 10,000 gatekeepers. That's, I mean, what, what, what a staggering statistic that is. I mean, I guess the obvious question here is that means you guys dominate this, this marketplace. Um, did the lenders ever talk to you about the word protection? No, uh, no, 
It's not, they don't need to, uh, Roy. That's not, you know, that's not their remit. You know, their remit is to talk to their um, account holders and their um, uh, mortgage advice, advisors about protection. You know, we're we, we standalone. The reason why you pay us a procuration fee is that the risk then is all ours. That's, that's what they're outsourcing to a degree, risk and process. Um, so no one ever talks to us about, uh, about protection. Um, uh, and as a result... It's a very, very poor um, turnout from our point of view when it comes to mortgages arranged, protection underwritten. Uh, there is a big gap between, and it's very geographical as well. Uh, I think if you went uh, further north towards Catherine's neck of the woods, you'll probably find that the conversion greater, Catherine, because... Because um, we're awesome lot... in the north. Awesome, yeah, Awesome absolutely. in the north. <laughs> took, took the words right out of my mouth. Um, um, but the, the 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 revenue per mortgage is significantly lower. You know, you move away from from the southeast, uh, where the average mortgage might be three hundred thousand pounds, and you end up in, in is it Filey you were in, uh, Catherine? Yes, I am in Filey. Your average mortgage is probably three thousand pounds. They have to find another way. They have to find another way. That's why I've got the mansion and the moats. <laughs> They have, to, they have to find another way to generate income. And that will come from your solicitor referral. It will come from your general insurance. Um, it will come from protection and will writing. Um, uh, so the northern uh, uh, advisor is, is much more efficient than the southern advisor because they have to be. So protection within, within the industry is also very, very fragmented, Roy, as a result. Yeah. Um, um, I just find it ex- extraordinary that uh, it, there's such a vested interest for the lender to to i mean they they don't want arrears they don't want debts that they're, they're chasing afterwards and uh, you know I'm, I'm going back 20 30 years and saying this as well and i've asked other other of your peers this the fact that they distance themselves away from protection i get the i get the uh, compliance reason they're distancing themselves but going back to your moral compass point okay it is massively in their interest for their customers to be covered in the event of long-term illness or sickness because it, it must be a, a horrendous pain in the neck for them to pursue people, but also morally not the right thing to do. It just doesn't. It seems a, a huge paradox here. Well, I'm just about old enough to remember when uh, endowments and life cover were mandatory when you took out the mortgage. Um, I can't really remember when when that ended or what the reason was for it ending, but it, it does feel like a step back to us that you know there isn't some uh, form of more control over that. I don't, I don't know if this is a correct statistic. I've been quoting it for years. I must have picked it up from somewhere. But um, uh, two out of every 10 repossessions are, are, are generally undertaken by uh, because of um, uh, death or inability to pay the mortgage through long-term illness. So that that's a, that's a significant number of repossessions. Um, and that's that a number. It could be fixed. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, so don't quote me, but I've been using it. Um, but you it, just, it, you it, just it, quoted it. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a fact now then. Yeah. So, I mean, even if it was one in 10, it's still, it's still yeah. you know, 10% too yeah. many. So um, there is a need for it. I mean, I don't know where the problem comes with the industry, whether it's well, in the same way that mortgages have become overcomplicated over the years when they don't need to be. And Catherine can maybe correct me on this one, but is it true, Catherine, that maybe protection has become a little bit uh, overcomplicated over the years as well. It's interesting because as we're talking about all this, I've started to sort of like think I'm going into my compliance head as well as my advisor <laughs> head. And I'm, I'm sort of like thinking of something extra because I know that, I mean, the thing is, is that protection can be incredibly simple. You know, it it doesn't have to be 
you know, five or six different policies all intertwined and all this stuff. There are times when it absolutely needs to be, you know, but in terms of, you know, at the very minimum, very minimum, you just would be doing something like either, a, a, you know, potentially a joint life, uh, you know, decreasing mortgage, depending on obviously if it's what type of mortgage it is. And that in itself is is the very minimum that you would do. And that in its generally as a policy is not going to be difficult to sort. I think the complexity that we get is when we are talking about different situations and risks. Now, whether or not it's a health risk or an occupation or anything like that, and then knowing the right way to go. But something that's standing out for me in terms of the complexity is that I remember a couple of years ago that there was this thing about, there was this huge drive that we heard about in the protection space and everyone was just like, we're going to get mortgage advisors doing protection and we're really encouraging them. And it was like, that's brilliant. Where are you training them? And it was like, well, they've got a system to do the comparison on. It's just like they've always had a system to do a comparison. How are you training them to make it right in a sense? And and there was not, it just seemed to be like a case of, no, we're just going to, it, we're just going to give them that extra responsibility to do it and tell them off if they don't do it. But there wasn't anything extra. And I think, I, I don't think that's necessarily, it's not a comment on either in either space, the market or, or protection, because generally there just isn't a lot of support in the protection space to do things. Obviously, as I'm sure we all know here, you can actually be a protection advisor. I would not advocate it, but you could just walk in, have half a day's training and start selling yeah. protection, um, which is obviously quite worrying. But then when you're saying the complexity, straight away I'm thinking, well, how many mortgage advisors know what to do in terms of protection? Because it's not their day in, day out stuff. But then I'm thinking, well, what about the, if we're talking in protection, what about the building resilient households where we can assign kind of a sign in our compliance, in our recommendation, a certain amount of the income protection budget goes towards paying off the mortgage amount, then hopefully, if there is anything, state benefits ignore that amount so that the person's total. Anyway, lots and lots of, how many people know how to do that? How many people from the protection side know to do that, to put that in their reports? Um, so in, in answer to your question, it's kind of like, yes and no at the same time. It is incredibly complex if you do it right um but it can be simple i think your point there was 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 valid catherine is much that you could do a half day course um and there isn't a correct if i'm wrong there isn't a minimum qualification there is no exam there's not there one no exam. Exam. Well, there, there's there is there is the there is an exact a module um it's a, mo that you could do. It's a module catherine there's no exam it's it is yeah. ridiculous and you know we we need yeah. to call this out again how can yeah. you have an industry where we don't have a dedicated exam for protection. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's beyond been tried. belief. It's been tried. Well, we do have, so, so so there is one place where you can get a certificate in protection, but it is... Is that, with your, is that alongside your swimming certificate for 15 yards of <laughs> breaststroke? I, honestly, it's... Oh, it's, it's, This is, this is another podcast in itself. No, but, it but is. I mean, I mean to, to become a mortgage advisor, you have to, ha you have to, you have to go through a very dedicated compliance bit in the in order to start advising is that correct Martin? very much so but i think your point is also valid there and um, uh, that it goes back to that one percent that we talked about um it's sometimes it's too easy to trade in our industry yes right we all know it's, you can pass an exam that doesn't make you very good just means you can pass an exam yeah. Again, coming from an ex-IFA, the reason why I didn't carry on post-2012 when RDR came in is I just wasn't good enough. And I recognised that in myself. I was not good enough to be an IFA and looking at where the direction of travel was going to be for that industry, which is very much towards chartered, certified, and actually sitting alongside solicitors and accountants. 
well, what's happened to our sector? What's happened to mortgage and protection? We're still stuck in 1995 regulation, mm. you know, CMAP, uh, you know, nothing, nothing on the protection side. But what, what we, we sort of become the poor relations of a professional industry there. And that gap between, you know, a mortgage broker and RFA used to be the same person. It was two sides to the same coin. And we've lost that now. And our RFA brethren have, have you know, elevated themselves um, um, much further up the food chain than we have. And we're still sort of down in the pond, you know, doing multiple guess exams or no exams, as the case may be, mm-hmm. and, 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 and swanning around saying that we're professional. Well, that's not the case. I think standards need to to rise across the board, even on the mortgage side. CMAP qualification is just a, an entry level, not even an A-level. It might be possibly an A-level equivalent, but don't think that means too much when you're talking about an asset that might be worth a million pounds with half a million pounds of debt that needs some protection alongside it. Well, I think that should be regulated from a, an exam point of view uh, much, much harder than it is currently. I think we can all obviously definitely agree. I mean, I, I'm very much an advocate for protection needing, you know, it, it should be just as stringent as any other area. And I mean, one example that I like to give is that I think it was a couple of years ago now, through a bit of a random series of events, I won't go too much into it, but I ended up sitting a, a module, um, an exam, um, that was in the general insurance space. Um, and as we all know, I don't do general insurance, I do protection insurance. The exam was meant to last two hours. It was a multiple choice question. I sat it in 20 minutes and got a high pass and that shouldn't happen. You know, no matter, you know, I shouldn't be able to walk into a different aspect of our industry and pass an exam in a fraction of the time and be able to pass it. Incredibly. Because, you know, ultimately that there's just no, that was just learning a parrot fashion in a sense, you know, that there's, there's no application of that. Um, but no, you, you know, you are right. There is, there is definitely a clear issue. And that's why I think obviously as well, you've got people, there's myself, there's uh, Matthew Chapman who have developed training courses on how to apply protection knowledge in the actual real world, because there's just nothing, you know, that there's, there's nothing for you. You can sit and you know, anybody can sit in parrot fashion and exam. Well, not anybody, but a lot of people can sit in parrot fashion and exam. And um, one of the issues that we have as well in the protection space is that our exams aren't just about protection. You get general insurance in there, you get PMI, you have to learn about, you know, a bit of building contents and things like that. And it's just a case of, well, hang on a minute. I'm just, I'm sitting this 11 chapter, 12 chapter exam and three or two or three chapters in it aren't to do with protection. Um, so again, though, I'm sure we could go off on a very, very long um, side shoot on these things, but uh, yeah. but definitely the stuff that we need to be doing more in our, in up, improving the standards in our industry well look it, it's it's opened up the debate and i've got i've got three sort of objections that clients give to us just regarding um protection maybe you can tell me a good way to handle that okay so one of the main ones and this is sometimes comes from the broker as well is it takes too long sometimes a protection um program or plan could take longer to put in place than the actual mortgage Okay, and that takes long enough as it is. So there's an issue here that, you know, having to chase doctors for um, medical records, um, uh, not having complete medical uh, history from the client, and all, you know, non disclosure, all these things are objections that actually are probably more broker driven than consumer driven, but I think they're probably relevant as to why protection is not penetrated as much across the board. Oh, absolutely. That, that one sounds like that problem sometimes is as much in the advisor's head as it is a consumer, which is something we come across all the time, don't we, Catherine? 
Absolutely. And I think as well, in, in terms of speaking to an advisor, my thing that I do at the moment, especially when I'm training, is just a case of along the lines of, well, my first thing is I wouldn't want to go up against the FOS and say to them, well, I didn't do it because it was going to take longer than the mortgage because, you know, I mean, that's just not going to stand up. You're going to get in a lot of trouble for not doing that. And in terms of the consumer, you know, in those conversations, for me, I always lead by the fact if there's a trigger that somebody is chatting to us, you know, if they've come to an advisor for a mortgage, let's say, you know, they've come to us because in a sense, they need that support. They need the advice. They know that you're specialists and that you're going to get them the best deal. And you're then positioning it in the right way to say to them, but there's this, you know, basically it's that thing, there's this risk, you know, we're doing this. This is going to put your family potentially significant financial hardship if you are no longer here or if you're unable to work. And and it's just trying to make sure that we keep bringing that, that trigger point back home to say, you know, this isn't just something that we put in place and then can just swan along as if there's no issues with it. Obviously, we wouldn't use that terminology with a consumer. Um, but... You know, we need to think about the long-term financial things. And I think that does come a little bit down to more of like a societal observation, isn't it? That we're all like, well, if it's not right now and it's not like in the next two weeks, I'm not bothered. We have become very, dis- everything we do is very disposable. It's swipe left, swipe right. It's it's control or delete. It's just, we don't have detention. We've got 600 TV channels now. Um, so we don't have that concentration level that we used to have. Um, and I think it is very interesting how that will that will change our thinking going forward. Mm. And you're right, it is very much a, uh, a it's, it's an inert problem within the broker that oh I don't do protection. It's not you know we don't we don't offer that. Yeah. Or it's too complicated. It's too hard. Um, it takes too long. So there is and again that comes back down to inefficiency. What about what about this objection, which is very relevant right now, um, and we hear this probably more than anything with the cost of living crisis? Mm. I just don't have the budget to do that. I think I would say I'll be on for why. All right. Well, okay. So uh, again, we hear this all the time. I would say two two things. Firstly, again, I think sometimes this is in the head of the advisor. Uh, we did a very interesting piece of research a few years back alongside the protection review where we asked advisors what the average price of income protection was. OK, and this is from advisors. The price came back at over £100 a month. In reality, I'm sure you know this, Martin, it's £30 a month, pound a day. OK, so I think sometimes we need to help educate to your to your earlier point within our community that things maybe are not as expensive as you think. Secondly, it's very easy to budget protection. Um, you know, with the multiple plans that you have now, what you can do is effectively you can build the protection around the customer's budget. And I think, sorry, I, I know that when you're talking to uh, mortgage customers, you need to talk to them about budgeting constraints anyway. I think the key is to say as part of your budget, part of that is going to be protection. So position it right at the start, mm-hmm. not here's your mortgage, oh, there's something called protection afterwards. And I know quite a few mortgage brokers have actually changed the, literally changed the position of where, protections asked within your fact find process because if it is asked at page 48 you know subsection b okay it looks like an afterthought well then it comes across as an afterthought if we're asking about it you know in the first few pages then you know its importance goes up so i think sometimes the budgeting is not as bad as it looks and i think Catherine and i would both argue have some cover rather than none even if you can't afford you know the the you know utopia is income protection followed by critical followed by life insurance and you know in 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 a in an ideal scenario you'd have all three 
what we can do is we can build backwards and we can have parts or some of those and then we could have lower summer shorts if needs be but something is better than nothing and i think the key then is like if anything in life you can build that protection over a period of time and many of us do so you might have relatively basic vanilla type of protection to start off with but as long as we build on it as time goes by um uh then, then i don't see so much of a problem so i would just ask uh mortgage brokers in particular who have come to you with that sort of budgetary uh you know doubt to just maybe play around with the figures it's it's sometimes not as bad as you think and and you can design a, a piece of protection uh, you know a, around somebody we had this when when covid came in didn't we Catherine? we had lots of we had, we had an underwriting problem martin when covid mm -hmm. first came in as you probably know um yeah. where to be quite frank getting some assurance over a particular uh level generally 250 300k was pretty impossible to do because you just couldn't talk to people's doctors for obvious reasons so what you know lots of us did is we did some assurance of 250 and 300k Okay, so we did it below a point where you needed to go. What we certainly did at my firm is that we're therefore we diarised the fact that we needed to go back to all those people to then hopefully top it up to that you know to, to that level later on. So I'd, I'd say that one comes sort of back to us again. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say as well, in terms of pricing, from, from my point of view, um, I think, you know, everybody in protection space, advisor-wise, we're all very, very well on life insurance. I mean, if we ignore risks that can potentially increase um, premiums, life insurance, pretty much the insurers have outpriced themselves. They've all gone so silly cheap in many ways with life insurance that that it's it really isn't is an expensive. It can be as little as five pounds per month. I know that comes into age and smoke status and all the summer shows and everything, but it can be incredibly, incredibly cheap to have life insurance. So at the very minimum, you should be at least looking at that side of things. On the income protection side, you know, it's something that I always say to people is that I do, I will give them the all singing or dancing version and then we can work backwards if we need to. So like Roy was saying, you know, you can potentially reduce the summer short. Um, if need be, I mean, I'm not a fan of doing short-term claim periods to say like a two-year or five-year, if I can do to retirement, I'd much prefer to do something else than take away that from the retirement thing. But you could do a five-year claim period. You could do two years. You could say to them, right, let's do a three-month deferred period, but make sure you put three months of savings somewhere that you are not going to touch and you know that you can live off that for three months as a just-in-case. With um, life and critical illness cover, instead of doing like a full mortgage amount, do full life, do half kick, you know, or something. I'll, I'll take like a figure. If you've got like 450 on the life, take 100 of kick or something and combine them. And that's another thing that I've come across is making sure that mortgage advisors know about the survivability clause of standalone kick. Um, that's, so, a, that's a brilliant point, Catherine, as well. I yeah. think again martin i've seen this with some of my mortgage uh, colleague friends they might do a 400k mortgage okay so they automatically go into the search engine and go right 400 life and kick and they go oh my god look at that figure it's absolutely outrageous and sometimes it is but we do exactly the same as Catherine. i would say look maybe cover yourself for 400 of life take the kick down to 100 or, or even 50 and just have some criticalness in there okay that really brings that premium down you do need to review it you shouldn't just sit on your hands there that needs to be something you need to go back to but i think sometimes you know when you look at these uh portals you will have scary figures rather than just give up at that stage play around with it a little bit or get you know get your power planners or cs to, to play around with it you can bring those premiums down good well i'll tell you what you're two-thirds of the way to convincing me so have this, have, you, have this last one have this last one this is my favorite one okay i don't find that we've kind of got interviewed ourselves right we've never had this I love that's it. what this podcast is all about i, I like that. Thank, like thank you for attending my podcast it's been great. <laughs> um 
uh, this is definitely this is definitely coming from the consumer, and it's the it won't happen to me objection. Right. So yeah. the great the, the greatest objection ever, and I think you know those of us have been around a while are probably. I mean, I must this must be uh, tens of thousands of time. I think the important thing there is is to realise two things. One, people do think they're generally indestructible, and two, this is a subject that people don't want to think about. And I think part of the skill of the advisor is to, in a responsible way, have a disturbance conversation. And that disturbance conversation is, actually, there's a very good chance that this might happen to you. Um, now, strangely, things like COVID, have, I think, have adjusted people's thoughts. You know, that indestructibility we all had, let's face it, nobody really has not been touched by COVID in some way or other. And I think the fact that now people can relate to, you know, long-term illnesses and stuff like that is, is, is a w- one way of talking about this. But we've also got beyond with stats, okay? And there are lots of great stats out there about the propensity of these things happening, okay? I think when you, pe- when you actually show people the stats of the likelihood of this happening, they are genuinely shocked, from my experience. And I think you need to have those stats in your, in your proverbial satchel in order to roll out to people. Um, I also think you need to talk to them, particularly with mortgages, about the attitude of the lenders. Okay, and Martin, you will know better than, than both of us that you know you'll get a little bit of leniency of a lender, but basically, if you're off long-term ill or you have a critical illness, um, or certainly if you die, there's no obvious one, but there's not as much flexibility as you might think. And I think armed with those stats and then the practical side of what would that do to your mortgage, I think in a responsible way. Um, and I, I don't apologise for using the disturbance word. I think you you, you can educate consumers. I, I also think, um, um, and I saw a great um, FTRC uh, model the other day about relating people to people that are like them in terms of their job, but their age. So there are some great stats on the amount of people who unfortunately have critical illnesses in their 20s. Okay, and yet I suspect there's lots of people in their 20s who go, oh, it never happens to people like us. You should have those things to hand. You know, you should have the stats about, you know, the, the number of people that are off long term ill. You, you guys probably saw it the weekend. I mean, there's a guesstimate. There's two and a half million people on long term illness from this country in this country currently. Two and a half million amongst, you know, 20 million. You know, that's right. a huge likelihood of happening. So, again, I think have these figures to hand and just make them real. And part of what, let's face it, our job is. We talk about their dreams and aspirations. That's the mortgage, isn't it? The buy, buying a house is one of your aspirations. That aspiration could be wiped out overnight if something that's very likely to happen happens. We've got we've got to help in that delivery. I've uh, I've actually helpfully got some stats to hand because I do it as part of my training. So um, just because obviously as well, this might be helpful for advisors as well to start hit home why this is important. But as an example, Parkinson's. Every hour, two people are diagnosed with Parkinson's in the UK. And I know from work that I've done with Parkinson's UK that somebody with Parkinson's is £16,000 worse off every year because of their condition. That's due to obviously loss of income and due to medical information. So it's not just things like that as well. So I have more stats. So there are more than 100,000 strokes each year in the UK. There's 150 people diagnosed with breast cancer every day in the UK. There's 130 people diagnosed with prostate cancer every day in the UK. And another one for me to throw in at the end is somebody is admitted to hospital every five minutes in the UK with a heart attack. So we're not talking about things that are just, you know, it it isn't just happening out there and to other people. We're at a point where statistically it's now 
more than one in two people will have cancer at some point in their life. And in terms of like the income protection side of things, you know, you can do these thingies and everything. And I, part of my, again, the training I do is I say to people, right, I'm 37. What's the likelihood of me dying right now as you know, unexpected at this age? And it's something like 5%. So then what's the likelihood of me having a critical illness cover, uh, sorry, critical illness, and that's 14%. And you sort of think, well, actually, with all those stats that I've just given, you'd have probably thought it was maybe higher because, you know, that's, you know, um, but the likelihood of me at 37 being unable to work for more than two months due to ill health is 50%. So we're literally at a 50-50 with people when they are at work as to whether or not they are going to be off for what's considered to be relatively, I'd say not long-term, but probably to a time period where they're going to start to maybe struggle a little bit. And it's quite surprising as well when I think, you know, when you hear people say, well, but the state benefits and you're just like, well, do you actually know how much that is? And, you know, when you look at state benefits, statutory sick pay, that's actually less than £3,000 that you would have to live off for six and a half months. And I, I think, you know, sometimes having information like that to hand can be really, really helpful to say, look, this isn't just me trying to flog something at you and sell to you or something. Mm. I'm literally saying £3,000 for six and a half months. Can you can you live on that? And if they can't honestly say yes, then then really it's something they should try and hopefully be open to the conversation. I think if you, I mean, they're, they're all great stats. And sometimes I think the numbers can be too big, Catherine. 100,000 people live. So I can't relate to that number. But I suppose some of those stats there, if you break that down in the course of this podcast, if it's an hour long, there's probably been 20 people that have been diagnosed with something yeah. or had a heart attack or died. When you break it down to that granular level yeah. and realize that in this small conversation that we're having, 20 people's lives have changed or ended, it does bring yeah. it home. A lot more, I think. Your point about the um, um, sort of uh, long-term sickness and can you afford um, um, to live on on this? I think what 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 we've seen on the mortgage side is, and this is going back now 20, 25 years, is it's a you, we did touch on it pre- previously. You must have it today. You deserve this. Live live life in the moment. I totally do understand that because you don't know when your time's up. But we've gone to the point now by I think. It, the average is that people have got three weeks worth of money left over if something right. happens. Yeah. Like, is that right? Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. That, well, that came out over COVID. The average person in the UK had three weeks salary and savings. Yeah. Okay. So, it, you know, that, that's, the, that's the, the downside to that lifestyle economy that we've created, whereby the consumer must be protected at all costs and the high street must be protected at all costs. And, um, you know, let's just hope that you don't become seriously ill as a result. So we're playing a very dangerous game of Russian roulette there, whereby we're living to the max and often beyond it. And if you see what we see sometimes that, you know, um, uh, people now in London in particular, 100 grand a year is a pretty average salary for a lot of people. And people live up to that maximum. They have no discernible savings other than the equity in their property which, as we know, will not pay your bills unless you sell it. So, again, demographically and socially, we've broken a lot, I think, in the last generation or so, and our attitude towards money and debt and protection has changed as a result as well. Um, and I think it's fair to say, um, I don't quite know where we're going from a, a political point of view in this country, but it's looking like the NHS and the welfare state might be changing significantly in the future and not for the better. Um, how that will play out, I, I don't know. But that safety net of the government will be there for you 
feels to me like that's that's a, just a soundbite. Um, and the reality is that there probably won't be a lot there for us. And if we don't look after ourselves, then it's a fair assumption that probably nobody will. There's a lot of people in our industry, Martin, who think that consumer duty is actually uh, the breath of proverbial fresh air for protection because it is going to make people talk about protection more than they've ever done before uh, for moral and ethical reasons, if nothing else, but also practical reasons. What effects would consumer duty do you believe we get the granular part of it but what effect do you think it will have on the on the mortgage industry well i'd like to think it's going to have a positive one i mean i would suggest that in, in on the mortgage side because it is very transactional and it might be a kind of a product that you might not see a consumer again for another five years this is not like the ifa world who continually have to review and discuss uh, ongoing, you know, macro and uh, microeconomic uh, issues that might affect their fund, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, in that respect, it's a bit of a blunt instrument from our point of view. Um, having said that, you're right on the protection side. I think it will be quite crucial. You know, we have to, I don't quite know how this is going to play out in the real world, we have to predict the client's future. That's sometimes what, you know, people are saying about consumer duty. We have to try and cover as many unknown unknowns, to quote Donald Rumsfeld, that may or may not happen to that consumer at some point in the future. Makes our job very interesting, but also very difficult at the same time. But we have to protect ourselves. As a business, we have to protect ourselves. We can't just write a line on the fact find that we, the client didn't want to talk about protection. You know, that might have worked previously. OK, is that going to, as Catherine said, is that going to stand up in a court of law? And I think we do, you know, as a, as a regulated industry with, um, you know, the consumers, our clients that, you know, you have to you have to treat the fact finder like a police interview as well. You know, are we talking about the right things? Are we recording it adequately? Are we also covering ourselves that if that fact find and recommendation was questioned at a future date, does it stand up to scrutiny? Okay. Now, in some respects, we've been winging it, and we have been for 20 years. I think society's been winging it since we crawled out of the sea. But you know, from our point of view, consumer duty um, has to be seen as 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 uh, as a gift with strings, in as much that look, you know, this actually will help our businesses. But there's work involved and attached to it. And I think again, as we said at the very start about regulation being a, a necessary evil, we have to embrace this. It's not going to go. You know, the FCA aren't going to wake up next week and go, do you know what? forget about that consumer duty so it's here to stay it will change it will change our process it will change our fact finding um it will and it should create better results for the consumer and it should make our businesses more robust as a result as well yeah i mean one of the opportunities that we very much see in consumer duty is uh you know greater propensity for signposting um and i think most of most of the protection industry is sort of saying Actually, signposting has come along at a, a very similar, you know, opportune time. Do you think, uh, um, and you know, please be as honest as you can. I mean, we're quite obsessed by signposting, aren't we, Catherine? But do you think the mortgage industry gets the signposting message that, that's coming out of protection? I mean, is it being heard at all, or um, a mortgage brokers aware of what the protection industry are talking about? No, and this is this is where I think um, this is where we need to be a bit more vocal on this. In the same way that when RDR came along in 2012, uh, and it was look, you're either going to do this and become an IFA, or you're going to get out of the industry now. Okay, so I think we need a polarising debate along the same sort of lines here: shape up or ship out. Are you a mortgage and protection advisor, 
or are you just a mortgage advisor? Okay, if it's the former, crack on. If it's the latter, get qualified. If it's somewhere in between, this is where you might be able to help is work with a trusted partner. Okay, this is one thing that we do very well within London Money and we do it uh, across the wider money group is if, if that's not your area of expertise, give it away to someone that does it day in, day out. Okay, don't sit with that risk on your book. Don't sit there and assume that you know just enough to give the recommendation. So things like equity release, bridging, second charges, uh, general insurance, it's not our remit. We're very good at mortgages. We're some of the best brokers around at mortgages. That's what we do. When it comes to something else that's a little bit off-piste, find someone to work with. And the client, you know what? The problem with the broker is that they're still in that mentality from 1995 where we're all scratching around for clients. That the moment you found a client, you you know you followed them home and slept in the car outside just in case somebody else got in there the next day. And that mentality is still within our DNA. We don't know how to let go. We have to think we we you know we're the jack of all trades and we can do everything. That's not you know your business will improve by realizing that you just you're very good in a very narrow channel. Stick to it. Anything else, work with somebody else. So I think I spoke to some of my guys about to Catherine before about protection stuff. That is just you know we don't know what we're doing, so we're not going to pretend we know what we're doing. We're not going to waste hours and days speaking to providers and then still not know what we're doing. We'll just ring Catherine. Yeah, I think happens. also the, the the other the other positive point for any mortgage brokers listening in is uh, signposting is a two way uh, is a two way arrow. Uh, there'll be lots of protection advisors to to exact point who maybe have dabbled in mortgages and just saying this really isn't this really isn't yeah. our thing. Who are probably looking for mortgage brokers to give their mortgage book to. And and listen, reciprocation is the most powerful uh, you know tool that there is. So if you can you know if you can, you know gets sorry. We, we spend we spend an awful we spend I don't know much across the industry, but hundreds of millions of pounds on marketing, and and the best relationship you will ever have in this industry is with a professional connection. All right, someone that does a part of the job that you can't do, and you can do a part of the job that they can't do, and then between you, you do a very good job for the consumer, and the consumer doesn't care. This is where the broker needs to understand. Just let go. The consumer is not wedded to you as an individual, that you are some sort of, you know, one-stop shop and you will look after everything. They will respect you more if you say, I don't know anything about this area, but I work with someone who knows this area inside out. Any objection if I pass your details across to them? The client's going to go, no. Yeah, and Martin, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great living example of that. I once did mortgages back in the early 90s, couldn't stand them, rubbish at them as well. So for the last 20 years, I've been, Giving all of my mortgages to uh, to one of your one of your peers, and it works yeah. perfectly. And not not once, not once, has a client of mine ever said, "Why are you bringing someone up to this table?" Um, they they want the fact that you know the person you bring to the table. That's very important to them. But no one will ever question you bringing someone else to the table. So no, that's, they, uh, they trust you enough that uh, you know your word is your bond. You wouldn't refer them to someone that was going to have a detrimental effect on their life. It's the opposite. Um, so and I refer my accountant. Accountant refers to me. I refer to solicitors. Solicitors refers to me. IFAs refer to me. I refer clients to IFAs. That's how it should be done. That's a very right. collaborative, positive industry. Um, that, that's consumer duty working, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So as we're coming towards the end of the podcast, this has gone really fast, actually. So, Martin, what are your thoughts on what's going to be happening in the mortgage market 
I, I, from what you've said, I was going to say over the next year, do you hope it's, obviously, I'm sure you hope it's going to settle down, but yeah. can we even look ahead even past Christmas at the moment? Is it, how, no. how is it all shaping? I wouldn't. I think uh, I've made this point um, briefly on uh, Twitter and got shot down in flames, so I might as well have a go at it. It's a very difficult, this is almost an impossible market to give good advice in right now um, uh, because it's so fractured. Um, uh, we've always been able to have a rough idea in terms of the direction of travel of interest rates. Um, right now, particularly in September, October, that was just it was ridiculous. When, when rates were, were moving around all over the place at speed, you couldn't, you couldn't put a glass over it at any particular time. Um, that has now calmed down. Okay, So, you know, the, the, the fiscal events which caused so much disturbance in the market um, has, has, has calmed down to a degree, but we are still in a, in a relatively high interest rate environment compared to where we were this time last year. If you could think that uh, this time last year we were fixing people at 1% for five years, well, that's now 4%. So the knock-on effect of where we are right now is, is quite significant for, for the overall economy. Um, we're running a little uh, um, sort of tracker within our in, internal um, business to see what the cost of... Uh, financing now is for clients and just in September and October alone the, the, the clients that we dealt with which I think was something like uh, for remortgages about 83 clients uh, collectively they're now £38,000 a month worse off than they were previously so you know you extrapolate that out that's half a million pounds across 80 people that will not be going into the economy anytime soon and now the issue we've got as an industry is next year starting in January when you've got 100,000 clients whose fixed rate is ending, and they're going to be coming off those 1% rates from two years ago, or even 1.7 from five years ago, and they're going to be going into a climate whereby, you know, it, it's going to be starting with a high three or possibly a four. Uh, for some people, it might even be a five or a six, and buy to let at the moment is in, in a degree of trouble, um, whereby none of the numbers really work. So in terms of projecting the future, I, I wouldn't like to say it. I would say, though, that it's going to be a difficult year next year. It's impossible because what we're not going to do is we're not going to go back down to a base rate of 0.1%, which is where it was in April 2010. Okay, We've got help to buy ending. Um, is there a silver bullet? I don't know. They might bring in a stamp duty holder. I don't know. Too much government interference is, is not a positive thing, I do not think, because we've ended up with a, a market that actually is unsustainable. Uh, we've got issues now in the rental market whereby landlords are forcing the rents up because their, their mortgage finance has gone from £500 a month to £1,500 a month, and they're going to pass that cost on somewhere. You've got house prices that are seven or eight times the median um, uh, income. Well, that, something has to change. It can't carry on like that. Something will have to give. Interest rates, asset price, access to capital, something will have to change. And it'll be an interesting. It's probably I'm a bit more fearful of this market than I was in 2008, because in 2008, the problem was easy, easily identifiable. It was a credit issue within the banking sector. That's that's quite easy to fix. Um, albeit very expensive. This time around, it's very, very, very different. You've got so many different problems moving at speed in different directions that it's going to be very, very hard to fix it. And then you've got, you know, we've got a budget on Thursday. That looks like that's going to be expensive from a taxation point of view and maybe a, a cutting of services point of view. So, yeah, I think, you know, you, you want to approach life as a glass half full, but it goes back to the really original point, Roy, is this will test 
businesses and how robust they are, how diverse they are, how well capitalized they are. And one of the main issues that I've had in this industry is that the reason why the broker panics when there's a catastrophe for a downturn because they spent all their money in the good times. Yeah, yeah. Left nothing in the bank. And I'm concerned that this time next year, there will be businesses that are already on thin margins um, uh, uh, and those margins could disappear. Now, the industry won't die, it won't give up because there's there's 100,000 people that need mortgage advice every single month from next from January onwards. People will still move. The big, the big three Ds, death, debt and divorce, are always the big drivers. There will always be a requirement to move. So there will always be a market. But I think a lot of the low-hanging fruit will, will have gone um, and then we'll find out who the good brokerages are. And let's be fair to your profession. You are a very resourceful guy, bunch. Um, uh, you've you've been here before in all different size size shapes, colours, etc. But yeah. but you are resourceful, and uh, I think the same can be said of protection. So I think you know important. We we end this on a on on a relative high. But uh, yeah, you're right. There are some tough times. Yeah, we are, we are anyway, I'm, I, I, I've always likened this to the crocodile. You know, whereas. All the dinosaurs get wiped out, and yet, as a, you know, we're still here four billion pound, uh, four, four billion years later doing um, uh, mortgage advice. So, we, we will we will be resilient without a shadow of a doubt. And and protection advisors will there'll be a tree shake. You know, there'll be those yeah. those brokerages or those protection firms, and you know who they are probably who sit in call centres and churn and burn and 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 are forever chasing indemnity commission. There'll be a tree shake there yeah. because it's across the living crisis. You're going to see a huge amount of lapses come through for some businesses, and you won't you won't be able to accommodate them. The uh, the tree shape will be in those firms in the mortgage broking side that have been quite relatively quite young, come in recently to disturb it. They've overpaid for brokers to come in to give them nice fat um, salaries and the assumption that there'll always be business. Um, it's going to be harder to find business. Um, so any tree shake in any sector though is quite good for those good businesses that will be left behind. Absolutely. Well, this has been really, really interesting. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for your insights, Martin. Uh, Next time, I'm going to be back and we're going to have an episode on value-added benefits. I'm going to have Matt Ram back with me and we're going to be chatting to it from an advisor point of view, consumer, underwriter, claims kind of situation. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate even on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the Octa members. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, Roy. Cheers, guys.